Hello, Goldmine listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and GoldmineMag.com. Welcome back for another episode of the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This cut podcast will be talking to Harvey Kubernick. Um, Harvey's been around for quite some time and quite an author of um, quite a few books, uh, especially about the L.A. scene in the 60s. Uh, he's quite wonderful in uh, capturing the essence of that time. And one of the unique things about Harvey's writing style is that he'll, he has a very um, beatnik style, makes you feel like you were there. Uh, he also interviews people that were on the scene, not just uh, scripted replies from the celebrities, but also people who experienced it, uh, which could be a doorman at one of the clubs that the Doors played at. It, you know, it really gives a, a good feeling about what it was like um, to experience these shows and to, to live that, that life. If you weren't there yourself, uh, for a guy like me who was born in the, in the sixties and didn't have the chance to experience the doors, it makes you really get, uh, some insight of what it was like to be there. Uh, his latest book is, uh, from Otherworld Cottage Publishing and it's called The Doors Summer's Gone. Uh, and it's out right now. And you could go to otherworldcottage.com. That's O T H E R W O R L D C O T T A G E.com to order it or I'll go simply go to Amazon. But you might get a better price at Otherworld Cottage. Check it out. Um, also, before we get to Harvey, uh, we're going to be talking about a release with my co-host on the Goldmine Radio Hour, Ron Webb. And Ron's a huge Chuck Berry fan and just released this year as uh, the great 28 Super Deluxe LP box set um, of Chuck Berry. And on Geffen, it's... Uh, it's quite a set. It's uh, five LPs uh, housed in a, in a box, a texture box, including the original 2LP 28-song compilation, an additional LP, more great Chuck Berry, which contains 14 more hits, also rarities and B-sides, missing from the original Rare Live album, Oh Yeah, Live in Detroit. And what I love about it, it has a newly created bonus 10-inch EP, and that's on red vinyl, or what they call Rudolph Red Vinyl. Uh, and it features the holiday-themed classics of uh, Chuck Berry. One is called uh, Christmas. Uh, the other one's called Run, Rudolph, Run, Merry Christmas, Baby, and Spending Christmas, which is the first time on vinyl. Okay, well, we'll get to that, and then we'll get to Harvey. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Hey, everyone there. 
Hello. Hey, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the Gold Mine Magazine podcast, and we have a special guest. Special, Ronald special, Webb. special. Yep. If you know who he is, he's, he's from the Gold Mine Radio Hour. He's special. <laughs> <laughs> and since Ron is such a big Chuck Berry fan, we're going to do an opening of the box set. Uh, we're on. What do you got there? The Chuck Berry Super Deluxe, the Great Twenty Eight yeah. from UME. This is cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Pat. And we're going to open up right here in it's the studios. Yours. Yeah. First. Open it up and describe Let, Let's describe like it first. It's it's 12 inches, right? Right? Yep. 12 by 12. And what it says that's in it is LP 1 and 2, the great 28. So it's the t- original 2 LP set yep. featuring Maybelline, Too Much Monkey Business, Brown Eyed, Handsome Man, Rollo Beethoven, you know, Sweet Little 16. Oh, man. I have this album. It's so great. But it also has an LP number three. More great Chuck Berry. So side one, Wee Wee Hours, Blue Feeling, you know, JoJo Gun. Oh, I love those songs. Dear Dad, My Diggin' Ling, the live version. So this is the more great 28. Plus LP number four. Oh, yeah, it's called. Live in Detroit, recorded at the Wald Lake Casino, October 25th and 26th, 1963. Now you think you think Chuck Berry is the man, right? Oh, yeah. He's the guy that invented rock and roll, okay? More so than Elvis? I'm saying Chuck was the man. He's <laughs> well, always been the man. Up. Let's open up the man. Yeah, but let me tell you about the EP bonus right there. Okay. A little, I don't know if you could see that, but hopefully when I get it open, EP bonus, Barry Christmas. First time on vinyl, man. Yeah. So I wanted to run Rudolph Run, Merry Christmas, baby, then flipping it over, spending Christmas, and then Christmas. Here we go, man. Chess Records, Universal. Thank you so much. You want to open it, Pat? No, you go ahead. Uh, okay. You're the huge Chuck Berry fan here. The great 28. Hail, hail. So this is great. So um, this feels really awesome. It's got some, uh, uh, it, its texture is feels almost like um, Neil Young's um, Harvest almost, you would say. Right. Yeah, it's uh, almost cottonish. Cloth, yeah. cloth texture. It's a cloth texture. Yeah, okay. And there's the box. So as a collector, what do you usually do with the back paper there? Oh, that's going to go, actually going to go inside the um, booklet because it comes with a 24-page booklet. So the booklet itself, let me flip through it. Let me go through this way. Uh, It looks like a a Discogs. We'll start it off with the blue of Chuck Berry. He's the gentleman who started it all. You're going to. Do that? Okay. That's right. He did. He just leaped out of the radio at me. I ate him. He wasn't just food. He was the air I breathed. For many years when I learned guitar, I was trying to figure out how you could be such an all-rounder. That's Keith Richards, man. Yeah, I remember Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. There's some young Chuck. That's a cool booklet. Inside the Chess Studios, and there's one of those profile pics. There's a really cool set of him on stage. And you know what? This kind of brings back to the uh, little Marty McFly thing with, with Back to the Future, <laughs> where they had, where it's just him on stage with his guitar, and then the little, uh, the little amps there. Yep, that's that's what Marty was doing. So who re- who does the liner notes on this? Okay, so former editor in chief of Vibe and Spin magazines, Alan Light, ah. is the author. He's he does some liner notes in here, and the Great Twenty Eight track credits is here. So uh, I would say seven songs on the first side, side two, another seven, side three, another seven. So they recorded at the Tiermar Recording Studios back in 1959 with Johnny Johnson on piano and Willie Dixon playing bass, Jasper Thomas on drums, and 
the backing vocals actually has Etta James on um, Almost Grown and Back in the USA. So you'll hear her, Etta James. Um, Fred Below is on drums. Willie Dixon is on bass on most of these. So do you own some? Do you own some of these recordings? Well, I have the recordings that are on CD. I have like there's these three chess box gotcha. sets that go out through the 50s, the 60s, and into the 70s. Right. Here we go. So the more great Chuck Berry. This thing was, um, they're going on to uh, more greatest hits of B-sides, B-side of uh, Maybelline, Wee Wee Hours, uh, the B-side of Drifting Heart, of Rock, I'm sorry, of Rollover Beethoven is Drifting Heart. The B-sides of Rock and Roll Music is Blue Feeling. The B-side of Beautiful Delilah is Vacation Time. So they're actually doing B-sides here. So Dear Dad, Little Marie, Promised Land, You Never Can Tell. I love that song. So uh, the next one with the credits, oh, yeah, Live in Detroit by Lee Allen. He's the guy who did the liner notes here. Mm. It's it's an album that was cueled from four live shows recorded at the Walled Lake Casino, Detroit, Michigan, back in October of 1963. So it's like they cueled it all together. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't one full show, so they took the best parts of it. And the musicians... Looks like the MC is David Prince. He was the show announcer. And besides, there was Joe Hunter on piano, James Jamerson on bass, Benny Benjamin on drums, and on sax is uh, Hank Cosby, and baritone sax is Beans Bowles. Merry oh, Christmas. Here we go. This DP. is something you were looking forward to. Huh? Yeah, the first time ever. And there's a picture of Jamie Jamerson right there. So that's cool on piano. Um, let's see. So the Berry Christmas features, it's an EP, Run, Rudolph, Run, Merry Christmas, Baby, Spending Christmas, and a song called Christmas. Yeah, back home from 1970. The Golden Hits is cool. If you guys out there, if you guys are Chuck Berry fans, um, pick up this album that's called Chuck Berry's Golden Hits that is on Mercury. There's a song called Club Nitty Gritty. It's the only place you could find it. So let's see what the record actually looks like. Oh, okay. Same deal. Looks like the blue chess one. There was an orange and blue chess records version. This one is the actual blue one, dark blue with the hits. Here's the 10 inch. I'm sure it's the dark blue chess one. Big 10 inch record. All right. So Berry Christmas. Oh, it's like an original. Oh, it's red and green for Christmas. Nice. That is really killer diller there. Run, Rudolph, run. Merry Christmas, baby. Oh, boy. I could put this. I bet you it's like 78 speed because that's what it reminds me of, a 78. No, it's Cause like a 70. It says right there. Yeah, it says 33 on it. But, you know, it's it's the 10-inch size of a yeah, 78. But it's it's cool. It's red and green for Christmas. And oh, it's not nice. made of shellac. <laughs> yeah, if I would have dropped it, you know, oops. All right, so I am going to open up the more. All right, more great more. Chuck Berry. Oh, boy, more great Chuck Berry. Slipping on open, and it's the Blue Chess Records label Whenever for the B-sides of those songs. That Berry Christmas is the first time on vinyl. That's exciting. And the first time on vinyl is that live one yeah, there. There you go. Here it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chuck Berry live in Detroit. I can't wait to play this one. <gasps> it's the Black Label Chess. This, this, Just yeah. like the, the Mojo Nixon. And this sat on release for 46 years. 
Wow. It looks just like the original there. It's gorgeous. Guitar Boogie, Let It Rock, Almost Grown, Chuck Berry Dialogue, So He Talks Too Much, Monkey Business, Introduction, Sweet Little Sixteen, Wee Wee Hours, Chuck Berry Dialogue, Maybelline, Good Night, Sweetheart, Good Night, Johnny Be Good, Let It Rock, and School Day. Yeah, ring, oh, ring know, goes Rob? the bell. Yeah, so Even that's a lot it's not stuff. Christmas, we're in spring, but uh, it's... Like Christmas. It's like Christmas all over again. That's why again. they got that buried Christmas for you. <laughs> that is cool. That's a great... Well, I oh, think this yeah. is a worthwhile thing for any Chuck Berry fan. I love it when these kind yeah, of Yeah, if you guys up. don't have the songs, here you do, you do man. You got a, um, an introduction to all his best songs ever, okay? Well, you got the original 2LP. You got the more great Chuck Berry with additional hits and B-sides. Yeah. You got that great booklet. Sorry about that. The whole thing right now. December 24, Johnny Johnson 12 and by trio 12. Featuring Chuck Berry and his guitar. Happy New Year. Oh, so that's a little, uh, one of those posters that they showcase to say, hey, Chuck Berry's going to be playing. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thank you, Ron, for opening up. Thank your... you for putting me on now, your podcast. And, and now you're going to play it and tell us. Come back and tell us what you think. Yeah, show me a turntable, dude. <laughs> I would love a turntable to have this go. thing. CygnusRadio.com presents Wingnut's Psychedelic Bubblegum Shop with your host, Ronald Webb. Hey, boys and girls. Remember those super fantastic fun times of yesteryear? I'm bringing you that sticky sweet guitar fuzz from all those years ago. Right here on CygnusRadio.com, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern. And rebroadcast Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Can you dig it? Hello? Harvey? Yes? How are you? It's Pat Prince. How are you, man? I'm uh, right here, man. So it's... tell me when we're running tape and ask whatever you want. Well, I want to I wanna talk about, uh, I mean, your Canyon of Dreams book was so good. And that's it's been about almost 10 years now since you published that. I often thought, how can you top that? But you you seem to, you keep on pushing great stuff out. Um, especially about the scene, one of the scenes that matters most, especially in America. And that is the L.A. scene for rock and roll during the 60s. Um, you know, because... London has its scenes, you know, it had a couple of them, the swinging 60s, and then you had the punk scene, um, but really, you have to return to that L.A. scene, don't you think? I mean, so much happened there in the late 60s. Well, thank you for the uh, kind words in the Canyon of Dreams book. Uh, a couple years ago, it was put out in paperback. Oh. Although I know somebody like you has the big hardcover volume displayed on your coffee table. Now I got to tell you, how do you how do you um, how does it look in paperback? I haven't seen the paperback edition because it was very visual. It was very. Um... I'll say one thing: it's the same exact book, but it's a smaller format. Yes. And there were just so many people who wanted to carry the book on airplanes with them or on travel. And to schlep that big hardcover coffee table book, um, I, I still to this day get so many comments on email or people stop me. Oh, yeah. 
uh, on that book, and that book is just starting, by the way. This musical Laurel Canyon, whether it be through re reissues, box sets, documentaries, uh, people heavily influenced by the designs of my books or just my multi-voice you know, format. I know the impact of this book and how influential it is because uh, there are people in the actual pages who find out who I am or come up to me. I mean, the most recent one was somebody who's very dear to the pages of Goldmine, Burton Cummings, you know, formerly of the Guess Who. Yeah. Uh, three, uh, I would say a month ago, I get a call from him. He's a longtime friend of mine going back to the early 70s, and I, I interviewed him when he was in the Guess Who, and he said he just left a message on the voicemail. Harvey, this is Burton Cummings. I'm celebrating my 70th birthday in Winnipeg tonight. Uh, I'm on tour with my group, and my drummer just gave me a copy of your Canyons of Dreams book. I, I'm mesmerized by it. By it. I have to be in one of your next books. <laughs> and I and I called him back and I said, you know, next week I'm finishing a book on the doors. And I know that you met Jim Morris one night, Jim Morrison one night, and you know you were influenced by him. And the guest who even had a tune called "Friends of Mine," and and he said, yeah, he wrote about he wrote about his encounter with Jim when the guest who first came to Hollywood, and it's in the book. So um, the books make impact. The books remind people about the real Hollywood in Los Angeles, and Mm -hmm. And I hope this doesn't sound too uh, braggadocio, but so often my city and the musical uh, lure and lore of this town, and I'm combining Los Angeles and Hollywood, um, it's often chronicled by transplants or out-of-towners or visitors or people on some kind of assignment. Right. Uh, it's about time a native Angelino physically born... <laughs> Yes. In the area. I mean, I was actually born in a room on the border of Los Angeles and East Hollywood, overlooking the Hollywood 101 freeway. Yes. And I'm a guy that actually really did go to high school in Los Angeles, now in an area called West Hollywood. I'm a guy who actually took driver's education at Fairfax High School in Laurel Canyon and the adjacent Mount Olympus. I learned to drive in Laurel Canyon. So the, this, this region has a big impact on me, but very rarely do the natives, and this goes back to Indian tongue and goes back in history, very rarely do the indigenous people or the artists like myself ever get a chance to tell the tale or graphically illustrate them. And I think you know how hands-on I involve. I am, you know, as a writer, I find the photos, I find the graphics people, I do the interviews, I do the transcriptions, um, and I and I and I know that you know everybody who reads the books. I mean, I know people return to the books years later. We're talking yeah. about a book, you know, that is nine years old, and I've had six books since then, including two other books and. I would say once a month somebody will come up to me and said, you know, I got your Canyon of Dreams book, and I kind of thought, wow, what a great summary statement of your 40-year career. And then that same person through somebody else will say, I got your Turn Up the Radio book. I got your Summer of Love book. 
And, you know, I've been banging out huge coffee table books as well as smaller format <laughs> books. You have. At a two-a-year pace, and um, I'm just starting. You're right. I mean, people do think of you when they think of the, the 2009 book about the canyon, but you've been pumping out great, like you said, almost every two years. And... uh one thing I wanted to ask you about that canyon book, Laurel Canyon, you're right, since you're a native, you had a different way of looking at things than a lot of people coming from the outside have this sort of mystical, mythical way of looking at Laurel Canyon, right? You saw it as a place you grew up in. And that's, that, not to say, that's not to say that I didn't realize or feel the jolt of magic right. and the mystery and the misery. Um, as Dr. James Cushing says about the 60s, who's, who's a constant voice in my book, everybody wants the 60s and all the peace and love stuff and all the freedom that you examine and all the great music that, that you remind people of. But let's also add, with the 60s, you get racism, war, hatred, civil yes. rights problems, chaos, assassinations of political leaders. I present a reality, I think, in my books. I, I know that I give the dose of the magic. I know I bring people in deep into the crevices, the I, you know, maybe deep into routings in a journey that they just didn't know exist because most of the music, the music brings them to the arena. But, you know, you have to kind of know the area, the, the navigation, the geography, and you got to bring up something, you got to bring a lot to the table. And so when people read my books, and maybe Canyon was what, maybe the fourth book. Right. And you realize, wait a second, I thought I knew everything about Laurel Canyon. I thought I knew <laughs> about the doors. I thought I knew about Janis Joplin. And all of a sudden, I confront people, and I'm saying that, I'm using that word confront, because the people who initially buy the books are fans or readers or pop oh. geeks or fanboys or girls who dig good-looking guys then the academics show up, and then the disc jockeys show up, and then the documentarians show up, and they are they are confronted with the reality that people like Bobby Womack lived in Laurel Canyon. Yes. It's not all hippies and white people and girls without bras and all this stuff that we keep seeing hurled at us in documentaries and pictures and well, flowers in their hair. I, I have a lot of that, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I colorize the vicinity, and that's something that completely and sadly shocks people, and then they realize, wow, the goal object of books is to buy them and learn something from them. Yeah, and, you know, I think that you also... One thing I liked is that you didn't go down the sensational road. And what I mean by that is you didn't include characters like Charles Manson. Um, you did mention him, but yes. you avoided that sensationalism. Why is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, again, um, there's plenty of that out there. Yes. And I had to address things 
like Charles Manson, but I did put him, shall we say, in a musical context, meaning there was yes. an interview he did in jail with Rodney Bingenheimer about his album. Right. I did not glorify him. I just took a different slant, and and the situation with him was in an adjacent canyon, Benedict Canyon. It wasn't quite Laurel Canyon. Right. Just like I addressed the Wonderland Avenue murders in a sidebar and the, the slang of the musician uh, Larry Williams. Um, you know, these things are a small part of the fabric, but I don't whitewash the world that I live in. Right. And, and you'll notice in my books, there's very little sex. There's hardly any drugs per se. It's cost me book sales. It's cost yes. me lectures. It's cost me uh, literary agents. I have had I've turned down you know some real sex capade memoir offers. Let me tell right. you, I'm sure you know you uh, stick to the music. There was one two right. nights ago that was there was a hundred grand on the table. Right. No, thank you. I'm here <laughs> on a mission. I think you know I'm here to get the music out and examined, and to educate people and have a good time. But also, I think my writing gets better each book and I know it sounds almost so self-effacing and childish mm. that I actually can say I hope my writing's getting better but I know the interview techniques are getting better because I know the information astounds people and when I when editors like you or people that are 10 or 20 years deep you know reporting yeah. I know the dozens and dozens of new facts that hit them, and, and like with the Canyon book, uh, it's happening more with the 1967 book, because I actually think I redefined the Summer of Love 1967 world for people, because I made the Summer of Love, uh, I made it driven by R&B music. Uh, black people are the thread through the book. Otis Redding is a reoccurring voice. That's different than what people thought was going to be a bunch of loving photos constantly and naked girls and, and all that. There's some a little bit of that in there, too. But I come from a world where I'm an R&B freak. I'm a guy that heard music in the late 50s who understands, like, the goldmine readers about Loma Records or Kent Records or, or the yarn modern records out here and just how throbbing jazz and R&B was in this town in the 40s, 50s, into the 60s. And it bleeds into my record collection and it bleeds into the work I do. And therefore, I know my books stand alone from most of the books that are out there on related subjects. In fact, it's not even close. Um, good segue into The Doors, Summer's Gone book, which is a recent book of yours. Yes. Um, you not only had the people that were the stars, but you had the inner workings of the music business. Like this Doors book, you had Bruce Botnick and Jack Holtzman. I mean, those are very important people behind the scenes. And it's very interesting when you get to hear them talk. Um, so that is another thing I like about your uh, your writing is that you go behind the scenes, not just as a musician, but you explain how things worked. You know what I mean? Because um, you find some of the more interesting stories from them. How about if I find, I think I find just about all the remaining stories you'd like to hear. <laughs> 
Um, I, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for pointing that out because initially when word got out, I was putting together a Doors book. Yeah. The first three or four encounters at a record store were, why bother? What are you going to bring to the table? I've told those people not to speak to me for a while. Because two, two of them have subsequently called me on the phone and apologized and wanted to buy copies at a discount rate. Um, I, I think when people... There's always more to tell. There's always a backstory of the backstory. Yes. But because I chose not to speak to nine women who had sex with Jim Morrison, and I chose to find nine females and males who went to recording sessions, or I could speak to Bruce Botnick about the tape stock used on Doors recordings. Right. I, I think very few people even ask that question. No. And because I've been in every studio in this town, well... 20 or 30 studios, Village Recorders, where Jim Morrison recorded his poetry album, American Prayer. I've been at Sunset Sound, where the first Doors album was done. I've been at TTG Studios. I've been at Electra Studios. I've been in the rooms as an observer. I've been at RCA. I've been in the rooms. I've watched the people record. I've handled the tape boxes. I've seen the notation. I want to know about the baffles on the wall, but you know, when you've been around as long as I have, and you are a trusted mm. journalist, I, I'm not saying um, you know I fawn to get access. In fact, I present some sides of the artist that I think would make record label people cringe because I don't deal <laughs> with fantasy; I deal with reality. Right. But I, this Doors book. I bring you inside the music from the lens of Jack Holtzman, who signed the band to Elektra, to disc jockeys who first played them, to the actual band members. And even though I only physically saw the, the Doors one time in 1968 in concert, I'm not saying that gives me a leg up over just about everybody who never saw the band who's written about them. Right. But I did see the band. Yes. I have, and I've been in the houses of some of the principals. And I, and then I made it a point to find groups, people in Sweetwater and Moby Grape, who shared bills with the Doors early in their careers and not the same seven people you always hear from. Right. And I know that the Doors are well documented. Some people say over chronicled. Yes. But I know one thing, when you got this book, and I deliberately didn't have color photos inside the book, you're stuck dealing with my text inside. There are photos and some images you've never seen. Yeah. But I know that this is a book, it's set up, including the font size, for you to read this, get absorbed, and you're trapped in the gold mine. You can't get out. Yeah. Because I know when it arrives, here's how the Doors book works. You get it, you go, wow, Harvey Kubernick's got another book out. Oh, okay, that's cool. He writes for us. We know him. Oh, this is a good cover. I'm going to check this out. And then you read my prologue. And then you kind of thumb through the book. And then you look at the table of contents and you recognize John Densmore's name, or maybe Rodney Bingham's name, or maybe Kim Fowley's name, or maybe Robbie Krieger's name. But then you start seeing these names, and you don't know who the hell these people are. 
<laughs> and you go, who's the, uh, uh, who are these? I, 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 you say to yourself, gee, I'm kind of in this business, and I don't know these 30 people. Well, I like I how bring, you picked. I bring in the proletariat. I bring in the fans. I bring in my friends. I love it. I bring in my Rolodex, and all of a sudden, I think I've redefined the way people will write rock books in the future. I guarantee you this format is going to be nicked and stolen the way people call me constantly for well, the graphic just... designers and the photographers of my hardcover <laughs> books. I know that this is going to be what's going to happen where the people write about a band and then bring in not famous people, but people that either went to concerts with or people they've known socially, but they're augmented with the people that are in the band. That I broke down the division of the people on stage and the people in the audience. Well, you just took away my next question, which is, and that is one of the things I like about your writing a lot is that you go beyond, you go inside, you go to the field, you go into the trenches and interview the people that are part of it. And that's, that's what I love. And a lot of people stay away from that because it's not as marquee. But uh, very important that you say that. And again, and I am not lamenting this fact, no. but I have, I have, I'll use the word lost potential book deals. Yes, because I wouldn't adhere to a form. I wasn't being stubborn or difficult. Yes, people, um, they wanted more of a star system collection. Yes. And I wasn't going to do that. I, I'm not bragging about it. No. I just want to do I want to do the things I want to do, and I've, God damn it, I've earned it. And it shows in the books, because I know once you take a look at this door book, you return to it again. You, yes. you say, what is this? And I know part of the reason is, I'm, I, and this is something I, I've gotten, I think, from Carlos Santana, who's always a great interview. I've interviewed him twice. The great thing about Carlos Santana, I interviewed him in 1976, and I interviewed him in 2017. Yep. That says something about both of us, that we're both, we're both on the planet <laughs> decades later. And it was like the conversation continued, you know, 39 years later or whatever it was. Yes. But I do know that I am partly the messenger and the vehicle and the tissue and the thread that, that and I, there's a lot of full surrender of ego here. You don't really see uh, pictures of me, you know, in the Doors book with people, all that. I, you know, I did some of that in Inside Cave Hollywood because it was a collection of my, my It's a different type of book, I, yeah. Thank, thank you, but... I do know when I accept the messenger role, and I also chose to kind of put in a little bit of a Noah's Ark kind of trip, where I bring people with me on the boat ride. Mm -hmm. I, I deliberately do that, and um, I, I, that's not to say there aren't marquee names in the, right. the people I talk to, but I get a certain delight you know, uh, bringing in what we call print virgins right. into my books. And people who need it could be a poet, could be a musician that needs to be heard because they have something to say. They do. And so the greatest compliment I get is when somebody will stop me because, you know, I'm not the I am not the expert self promoter. I don't do Facebook. I don't really have my own website. I don't have management. I don't have any of that stuff. Um, so when you hear me or find out about me or get my books, 
they reach you through a pretty organic process, mostly word of mouth by other people. And, of course, the reviews spur interest that spread that way. Yep. But I do know that people find out about other people, and the cycle starts building. And there's, there's something that's going on when somebody says to me, I really like what Burton Cummings said in your Doors book, but there's a guy in your book named Blobbity Blah. I, I, <laughs> who's who more, is he? See, well, I this, don't put, and sometimes I don't put bios of the people. Everybody gets the same uh, boldface type size. We yeah. are not catering to Hollywood celebrity obsession. Yeah, because There's you one know Hollywood person in this damn thing. <laughs> Me, well, I'm the Hollywood <laughs> guy. I'm the real Hollywood person. I am not somebody who came here to make it and stomp on everybody. So when you let a real Hollywood person give you the real guided tour, yeah. you're going to see everything. Yeah, because the celebrities are scripted. They have their story down, and and usually, and then the the people on the ground are honest, because you know Thank what you. what do they have to lose? They have nothing to lose. But I do, but I do know when you can look at my the doors book. Um, you, people say to me, "Oh, I'm I didn't know about Tony Funches in this book," and I yeah. go, "Yeah, I went to junior college with Tony Funches. It was the head of doors security for a year in 1970, and." I know that the books, the books do a, a number of things. They steer you to the band's catalog. They show different sides and angles to the real collectors. Correct. But I also know it drives some economics to friends of mine, whether it be a photographer getting requests for some of the pictures that are first seen in my pages. Yeah. I'm all for I'm all for this stuff. I like to think that's part of the uh, growing up in Hollywood that that really coexists with you know with the journey. Gary Pig Gold, who I guess you know, who, who's written you know for many years and is a voice in my books. He he says no one knows how to get sound on page like I do. That's nice. one of the best compliments I've ever gotten because I can I do have the ability to take sound and put it on the page and amplify it with pictures and if I don't write it specifically I bring other people to augment it. And that's why when you you deal with my books you, you you look up and 20 minutes have gone by that you can't even account for because you're stuck you you because you're glued to them because it part of it is I think people really are plugging in to some of the to some of the stuff that I'm exploring which they thought had kind of already been documented and chronicled before mm -hmm. but I I kind of show on the freeway of life there's four or six lanes and not just the one That's that good. we're so accustomed to <laughs> a great LA and, analogy yeah you, you, you know what I mean <laughs> and and people like Travis Pike you know at, at other world cottage industries because he is a guy in his early 70s and started in the 50s. Oh, he's a great and guy. So, yeah. He understood the fact that we could have an outlet to do a book on the Beatles, the Doors, and other things. But I also am still dealing with... Um, you know, corporations that are owned like by Barnes and Noble mm. who like to do the coffee table books too. So I guess I'm like Lulu, you know, best of both worlds. <laughs> I can, uh, 
I can uh, I can I can actually navigate in both you know both mentalities, but it does come down to I actually my the passion I have for the music, which years ago was doubted because nobody quite knew. And I'm I'm going back many years. I'm talking about attempts to get to write initial books or to get some articles in magazines. Mm. The the LA mentality was so defined by people before me, and some of them did very good jobs. Do not get me wrong. That everybody kind of thinks they already know everything if there's 39 doors books already. Right. Um, but you know, and I can understand. You know, there's also probably another 20 books coming out on Led Zeppelin. You know, um, you got to bring something new to the table. Yes. I not only know that I brought something new to the table, I, I brought whole new furnitures into the building. <laughs> well, I recommend any Doors fan picking up the Doors Summer's Gone, which which did just you did out. you learn some things? I think the thing to learn is that you get a sense like you were there, whereas. Otherwise, it's just a history lesson, right? Right. But I do remember hearing the first time the Doors were on the radio. I did talk to Dave Diamond, who spun their record before it was released. I can't tell you what a seismic moment it was for me not to hear Light My Fire break on through, but things like 20th Century Fox and Soul Kitchen. Yes. You see, I do go deep catalog, and I know that's the kind of little machinations that connect with people, because I'm going to tell you about Elvis Presley's If I Can Dream, not just hearing Hound Dog for the first time. <laughs> and I think, And I think people recognize that maybe I was being prepared for some of this stuff that I wasn't even aware of. I've been doing this literally since maybe I turned age 21. Um, It was never looked upon as a vocation. And, you know, it's kind of evolved into a mission. But I'm still having fun. And I do know, I mean, based on this conversation, I know when you saw that Doors book, you had to marvel at the variety of voices and and just the audacity of mixing the professional with the proletariat, with the fans, with the musicians. It's this big musical stew. Mm. And, I, and I already know people when they get this Doors book There'll be some future books where this book will be kind of the Geiger counter, the way those books will be done. And I'm only talking about in concept and in and in thread assessment, not not information data or how the book is written. But I do know I broke down some walls where we're all in the music together. Mm. I, I truly feel that way, and I know that people came up to me, they still come up to me about the Summer Love Book and the Canyon of Dreams book constantly, and they go, you know, the way those sidebars were laid out with the pictures, um, it wasn't a cut and paste job. And I said, no, um, I made some suggestions of what should be the pull quotes and things like that. I'm very involved in the writing and the assembly line aspect of this. Uh, um 
you know, uh, this is not cut and paste stuff. And if I do use some previous quotes, mm. believe me, they are acknowledged in the index, the credits. You've probably never seen more thank you credits in a book, and you get five of them a week. <laughs> I I really am very happy with this Doors book, um, especially the prologue, because it was a real... I had to really pull it out of myself to write that prologue, and I went over it with some people, and it is a little heavy-handed and a little bit of the word, I did this, but it was so important for me to establish my own relationship with the group before I ever met them, or how I heard them on the radio, or how I lived literally 200 yards away from the building where they all met at the Maharishi Meditation Center. I, I found out so much about myself that related to the band that I just let it all out. And I think by doing that, it opens the door, oh, good pun, it opens the door <laughs> wider for all these new voices to comment on the doors. And I know that people appreciate the fact that there's really hardly any sex or drugs or heroin or anything in this book. It's cited, it's mentioned, but I just didn't want to do that. I hear you. And I think people like you and your readers and everybody in my 45 years, I think you know that I do speak to engineers or I speak to the trumpet player and and I mentioned, you know, Curtis Amy being the, like the sax player on Touch Me who I've met, Mary Clayton's husband by the way. Well, he's not on the planet anymore, but I'm just saying I I bring in the musicality in my books as opposed to the sensationalism and I think it's starting to pay dividends in the long view. I think so too. And listen, Again, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I'm all for it. I appreciate. All right, man. So I'll Thanks talk. For calling. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Okay. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Ron Webb. This is Pat Prince signing off. Don't forget to go to goldminemag.com. And right there, you'll see a scroll down menu for subscriptions. And you could save 68% off and get a free download of our, one of our record guides. Also, look on uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and select record stores, indie record stores, for our magazine and print each month. Um, you won't be disappointed, and it's geared towards music collectors. All right, well, we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Thank you very much.